Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. It's as if Jesus were going out of his way to say heaven is an actual place. I'm going to prepare not a state of mind for you, but a place for you. In heaven, there are many places, and one day I'm going to take you to that place. Jesus said heaven is a place. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Once the end times have all unfolded and earth is gone, every believer will spend eternity together in perfect harmony in heaven. So what will heaven be like when we get there? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress briefly addresses 10 common questions about our eternal home. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Over the last decade, I've had the privilege of speaking into our culture through the medium of network television programs. This door has been opened to me, and I'm pleased to shine the light of God's truth in dark places. Now, because of the pervasive nature of cable television in households all over the world, people often recognize me as the pastor from Dallas who has some strong opinions about protecting America's Christian foundation. But let me be very clear. Pathway to Victory is not a political program. Pathway to Victory is a ministry of discipleship where we equip millions of Christians like you to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. And over the last several weeks, our training has been laser-focused on the end times through a fascinating series called Perfect Ending. And because we've come to the end of this teaching series, your time is running out to take advantage of the many special resources I've prepared to help you gain a stronger grasp on God's plan for your future. Our primary resource is my best-selling book called Perfect Ending. I've written this book to explain not only what to expect during the last days, but also what you and I should be doing now to prepare for tomorrow and for eternity. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll say thank you by sending you a copy of Perfect Ending. I'll say more about my book and other resources later on. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14. I've titled today's message, The Truth About Heaven. The truth is God has revealed just enough in the Bible about heaven to whet our appetite for it. We're going to look at what we call the eternal state for believers. We're going to talk about what the Bible reveals to us about heaven. Now, in past series, we've looked at the subject of heaven in different ways. And so I was trying to think today of a creative way to present what the Bible teaches about heaven. And so today, what I'm going to attempt to do, and you have on your outline is, I'm going to answer the 10 most frequently asked questions about heaven. And I'm going to do so very, very quickly. So get your notes out. Get your Bibles out, and we're going to look at the top 10 questions people have about heaven and what the Bible says in answer to those questions. The first and the foundational question is, is heaven an actual place or is it simply a state of mind? 
You know, the Bible uses the term heaven in three different ways. Uh, there are really three different heavens in the Bible. The first heaven is the atmosphere we live in, the air we breathe, where the birds and the jetliners fly. It is our atmosphere. Isaiah 55, 9 uses heaven in that way. For as the heavens are above the earth, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. He's talking about the heavens are higher than the earth. He's talking about the atmosphere. The second heaven is what we would call outer space. It's where the planets, the stars are. Psalm 19 uses heaven in that way. The heavens are declaring the glory of the Lord. As you look into space and see the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars, it's very evident that there's a creator God who created all those things. We'll see that when we get to Romans chapter one. That's the second heaven, outer space. But there is what the Bible calls the third heaven. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he was raptured up into the third heaven where he saw things he was commanded not to write. It is this third heaven that is the dwelling place of God. And so when we're talking about is heaven a real place or a state of mind, we're talking about that third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. So what does the Bible say about the reality of that place called heaven? Turn over to John 14 and look at verses two and three. Now this is Jesus teaching. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Notice in these two verses, Jesus uses the word place three times. In my Father's house are many places. I go to prepare a place. I will come again and take you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. That word place is the Greek word topos, topos. And it means a geographical location. It's as if Jesus were going out of his way to say heaven is an actual place. I'm going to prepare not a state of mind for you, but a place for you. In heaven, there are many places. And one day I'm going to take you to that place. And Jesus went on to say, if this were not true, I would have told you. Jesus said, heaven is a place. You see an illustration of that in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Remember the setting for Acts 1 is 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus is now getting ready to ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Many of us have stood there before and read this passage of scripture. His disciples were around him. And after reminding them of their mandate, look at what Luke records happened. After Jesus had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing, looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, here's a very simple point. Jesus left an actual geographical location, the Mount of Olives. 
You can stand there today, right in the spot where Jesus was. He left a geographical location, the Mount of Olives, to go where? Into a state of mind? The Bible doesn't stutter on this subject. Heaven is an actual place, not just a state of mind. Well, that leads to a second question. Well, where do Christians go then when they die? Where do we go when we die? We often say, well, when a Christian dies, he goes to heaven. Well, that is partly true and it's partly untrue. Let me explain what I mean by that. 2 Corinthians 5.8 is very clear that when a Christian dies to be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, is to be at home with the Lord. There's no such thing as a soul going to sleep and waiting till the final judgment. The moment a Christian dies, his spirit goes immediately into the presence of Jesus. And in that sense, he is in heaven. But the heaven that a Christian immediately goes to is not his final and eternal home. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, that one day this present heaven and earth are going to be destroyed by fire. And then what happens? Revelation 21 verse 1 says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. We go immediately when we die to be with the Lord, but that is not our final and eternal dwelling place. Ultimately, we will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth that are yet to be constructed. Well, that leads to a third question. Are you saying then, Pastor, that when people die, they go to a kind of purgatory until the end of time? Not at all, not at all. Turn over to Luke chapter 16 for a moment to this passage we looked at a few weeks ago, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, both of these men died. And remember, Lazarus, because of his righteousness, his dependence upon God was taken into the presence of the Lord, Abraham's bosom. But look at what happened to the rich man, verse 23. And in Hades... The rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Remember, this passage says that when an unbeliever dies, he goes to this temporary place of torment, Hades, and ultimately he will be cast into the lake of fire. In the same way, when a Christian dies, he goes immediately into the presence of Jesus and experiences blessing while he awaits the new heaven and the new earth that will be his ultimate dwelling place. Question number four, what is the difference between the millennial kingdom and the new heaven and new earth described in Revelation 21 and 22? Some people get the millennium and heaven mixed up. What is the difference? Remember that Revelation 20 tells us that after Christ comes back to earth at his second coming, Remember, he bound Satan for a thousand years and he reigns on the throne of David for a thousand years. It is during this time that the earth experiences a renovation. Not a recreation, a renovation. Because Satan has been bound, much of the curse of the earth will be lifted. Those who are living in their natural bodies during the millennium will live longer than they live right now. The earth's vegetation will increase. It will be a better earth. It will be a renovated earth, but it is still this present earth that has been improved somewhat. But then as 2 Peter 3 says, after the millennium and after the white throne judgment, God will destroy this present heaven and earth. 
And look at Revelation 21, verses one to three. John says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. John says, after the present heaven and earth were destroyed, he looked up and he saw this heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to earth. And it's very clear from the language used here. John saw a city that had already been constructed. Did you know right now, in that heaven, wherever God is, this city, the heavenly Jerusalem, is under construction. That's what Jesus meant when he said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what I want you to understand, we've been over this before, but some people still don't get it, is our ultimate dwelling place is not up there, is not some place in outer space. Our ultimate dwelling place is here on earth. We are not going up there someplace to dwell with God. God is coming down here to dwell with us. That's Emmanuel. The main word means God with us. How many times in the Old and New Testaments do you find the meek, the godly, the righteous shall inherit the what? Outer space? No, they shall inherit the earth. Now, the center place of this new heaven and new earth is this city called the New Jerusalem. And John gives two chapters, chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation to describing what this city is going to be like. It has 12 gates. It has a great wall. It has foundation stones. There'll be no night any longer. There'll not be any sea any longer. There'll be a tree of life that provides healing for the nations. I don't know what that means, but it's described there. But one of the distinguishing interesting aspects of this new Jerusalem is the size of the city. John describes it as being a city that is 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. It's to be understood as a cube. And again, I don't understand that. Perhaps part of it is going to be touching the earth. Part of it's going to be suspended uh, in the air. I don't know, but it's a city 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. Now, that's one big city. And that's the new Jerusalem. And there's no reason, by the way, to think that's going to be the only place we live. It's just going to be the center place of the new heaven and the new earth. That's what heaven is going to be like. The, the truth is heaven is going to be large enough, the new heaven and new earth, to contain anybody and everybody who wants to be there. And that leads to a fifth question. What kind of bodies will we inhabit in the new heaven and will we know one another in heaven? Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to tell us what our heavenly bodies are going to be like. And he uses an agricultural analogy to illustrate this truth. There were some in the Corinthian church who said, resurrection makes no sense. How can something that has died be brought light to life again? How can you bury a body and expect it to rise again and become a living object again? And Paul says that's very simple if you understand anything about agriculture. Look at verses 35 and 36. Paul says, but somebody will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. You know, Paul wasn't always patient with people. 
you know. Sometimes I'd like to answer questions like that, but I couldn't. But Paul gets away with it. He says, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He says, look at agriculture. What do you do with a seed? You put it in the ground. What happens to that seed? It dies. Part of agriculture involves the dying of a seed, but then it comes to life. And in fact, it comes to life to something much better than what was buried. Look at verses 37 and 38. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of his own. Here's what Paul is saying. When you plant a seed into the ground, that which you end up with is better than that which you planted. The harvest is superior to the seed. Isn't that an amazing thing when you think about it? You take a little watermelon seed, you put it in the ground, and what happens? It becomes this huge watermelon, all from that tiny seed. Think about it, on a hot day in August in Dallas, which would you rather chew on, a watermelon seed or a watermelon itself? I mean, the harvest is superior to the seed. And he's saying the same is true with the resurrection. Our bodies are going to be planted into the ground. And they are going to bring forth something much better than they originally were. Our new bodies, our resurrected bodies, are going to be superior in many ways to that old body that was planted in the ground. But then Paul adds a second truth. Yes, the harvest is superior to the, to the seed, but the harvest is also similar to the seed. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. What Paul is simply saying is this. You don't plant a watermelon seed and harvest a kumquat, okay? What you plant is what you get. The harvest in some ways resembles that which was planted. And it's the same thing with you and with me. Our resurrected bodies, why they're going to be so much better than what we have right now. And aren't you glad that's going to be true? Amen. Aren't you glad we've got a body coming that's going to be free from sickness and death? All of that is coming. But still, our bodies are not going to be uniform. We're not going to all look like one another. Our resurrected bodies are going to, in some ways, be similar to our current bodies. I was on a radio program Friday and the host was asking me all kinds of questions about the resurrection. Oh, Pastor, what are our resurrected bodies going to be like? Are we going to have birthmarks if we have birthmarks in this life? Are those birthmarks going to carry over? What about if you've lost a limb? Are you going to be handicapped in the next uh, life? I mean, are, what, are we going to know one another in heaven? All the answers to those questions come when we look at the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Remember in Luke chapter 24, we find an occurrence of Jesus' post-resurrection experiences. He had died, he'd been raised from the dead. He was in his new resurrection body. And you find that his resurrection body, in many ways, was similar to his earthly body. His disciples recognized him. Took him a little while, but they recognized him. He had a digestive system, just like his earthly body did. He sat there and ate fish with them. Um, Yes, there will be eating in heaven. Aren't you grateful for that? That's some people's number one concern about heaven. Uh, they were able to eat in heaven. Jesus was able to eat in heaven. There were similarities too, but his body was also superior to his earthly body. You find uh, Jesus suddenly appearing. I mean, apparently he was able to transcend time and space. He was able to go through doors and so forth because his body was superior to his uh, earthly body. 
And the same thing is going to be true for us. You say, well, that was Jesus. Why do you think that's going to be true of us? Because, because Colossians 1.18 says, remember, Jesus is the prototokos. He is the prototype of those who are going to be raised from the dead. He is the firstborn, the prototokos of all creation. When I was 10 years old, my dad took me to Seattle, Washington, and we went on a tour of the Boeing aircraft facility. And I remember as a little boy walking through with my dad that vast assembly line of jetliners. I mean, it's a huge factory there. And one jetliner after another on the assembly line. But you know, before the first airplane was made, there was a prototype that was made of that plane. A model, a sample after which every other plane was patterned. Jesus' resurrection body is the first. It is the prototokos. It is the prototype of all of our bodies who belong to Christ. If you want to know what your resurrection body is going to be like, look at the body of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3.10, remember what John said? He said, brethren, it has not yet appeared as to what we shall be like, but when he appears, we shall be like him. The Bible says you and I are going to be just like Jesus in that new resurrection body. Question number six, well, what age will we be in heaven? Have you ever wondered that? What age will we be in heaven? We used to do this. We hadn't done it in a couple of years, but I used to do an annual thing called Ask the Pastor, where people could submit questions and ask the pastor any topic they wanted to ask. And, you know, after doing that for about 25 years, I got to where I could anticipate just about every question that was going to be asked. Where did Cain get his wife? Did Adam have a belly button? You know, those deep theological questions everybody wonders about. But one year I was absolutely stumped. I'll have to, I, it's a question I never had heard before. This lady out in the middle of the section stood up, they brought her a microphone, and she said, Pastor, if a woman is pregnant at the rapture, will she be pregnant throughout eternity? I paused for a moment and I said, yes, it's called hell. Um, <laughs> now, after the laughter subsided a little bit, I admitted that was a unique question. Uh, will embryos on earth be embryos in heaven? If you're 10 on earth, will you be 10 in heaven forever and ever? Uh, if you're a senior adult, when you die and go to heaven? Or are you going to be looking for the branch office of the AARP at the pearly gates, you know? The real question is, what age are we going to be in heaven? Some people have postulated that, well, perhaps we're going to be the same age Jesus was when he started his ministry. We're all going to be 30 years old. That's complete conjecture. The fact is, we don't know what age we will be in heaven. There's so much more we need to learn from this study in John 14. Please be sure to join us for Friday's edition of Pathway to Victory. And then bear in mind that time is running out to request the many resources we've prepared on your behalf to help you gain a stronger grasp on biblical prophecy and the end times. Now, the deadline is tomorrow. First, be sure to request a copy of my best-selling book called Perfect Ending. In my book, I'll take a closer look at events like The Rapture, the tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, heaven and hell. And I explain how these future realities should be impacting your life 
today. My book, Perfect Ending, is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, when you respond right now, I'll also include a -a one-of-a-kind resource called The End Times Illustrated, a panorama of Bible prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. This is a 72-page, beautifully illustrated book containing Bible teaching on 11 prophetic events yet to come with illustrated infographics and charts. That's two very helpful resources, my book Perfect Ending and the companion guide called The End Times Illustrated. But here's the best part. When you support Pathway to Victory with a financial gift, you're part of a growing movement all across America that's committed to this primary cause, piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. Thanks so much for getting in touch with your generous gift today. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request a copy of the best-selling book, Perfect Ending, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, you'll also receive the companion guide to Perfect Ending. It's called The End Times Illustrated. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive, in addition to the book and the companion guide, the complete Perfect Ending teaching series on CD and DVD. Now, don't forget, today and tomorrow are the last days you can take advantage of this special offer. So be sure to get in touch right away. Call 866-999-2965 or visit online at ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time for the conclusion of this message on heaven and the conclusion of our series titled Perfect Ending. That's Friday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.